On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Lilia Fry. She's a technology leader and a manager of quality assurance engineering. Gonna be covering pretty much a podcast around continuous integration, continuous deployment, and actually continuous testing. Lily has a pretty deep background in these areas, and uh, she has also faced her share of challenges in trying to get to the holy grail of a full CICD process, and I'm just thrilled to have her on to talk to us. Thanks, Lilia. Hi, I'm here. Uh, I'm happy to be here. I just want to briefly tell you about myself. I've been in IT for the last 24 years in different roles, starting from a web developer and uh, building my own startups on providing web development services and some other delivery services in all kind of in the realm of using uh, the latest technology to provide services to people or producing products. Also, I've been in a lot of leadership roles and I would like to tell you one thing I noticed just talking to other technology leaders in IT world that uh, CICD has become one of the talk most topics where people are finding it a little bit uh, difficult to either implement or transition from continuous integration to continuous uh, delivery in using continuous deployment and not everybody understand what continuous testing is. So that's basically what I would like to talk about today. Awesome. Talk to us a little bit about, maybe let's provide some definition, especially around continuous testing, right? So I know I've you know talked to people about uh, CICD, but talk to us about continuous testing. Continuous testing actually consists of uh, two components. It consists of uh, shift-left methodology and shift-right. And shift-left is when testing takes place after every commit in either a few times a day or nightly or weekly and throughout the process. And you do the testing starting from the development dev environment, then going to QA stage, uh, production, and that's in lower environment. And shift right is a method where you test in production. And that's actually companies introduce it later on where shift left already is being introduced and practiced and it's working well. Then they gradually introduce shift right, uh, continuous testing, where they start with incremental end-to-end test in production for certain scenarios and, of course, smoke testing. And that actually helps uh, companies to reduce any unexpected scenarios and fix bugs early with the shift left and shift right and make sure that you deliver a high-quality product to your customers and it also helps you to support fast product delivery. Awesome. I guess when you're looking at the evolution of uh, maybe testing, let's let's start with testing, and, and you see this, you know, companies have had to shift left and then shift back right in the process. Where does that, like in terms of when you're looking at the horizon of where testing is going to go from here, what do you anticipate happening? Uh, I see that nowadays uh, testers, quality engineers, have to really understand what CICD, continuous integration, delivering deployment means. You have to know uh, how to use different CICD tools like Jenkins, uh, CircleCI, GitLab CI, 
Azure DevOps Bamboo. This is like the top most popular ones. This is part of uh, testers' sort of um, skills it's necessary to have. And uh, also they are becoming a part of um, DevOps team because for CICD to work and the continuous testing to work, testers have to work closely with DevOps and at the same time with developers. So testing becomes this kind of such an integral part of this continuous delivery of a high quality product. And here's the thing I want to mention about continuous integration. Turns out it was first kind of introduced the term continuous integration in 1991. However, our technology was not ready yet. I mean, we were developers started to practice this um, pushing code uh, to the shared repository several times a day. However, it was not a continuous delivery yet. And the continuous delivery was introduced in 2010 by David Farley and Jess Humble. And right after that happened, 2010, that's when we received kind of the idea of building this uh, CI/CD tools. That's when Jenkins was introduced in 2011, Circle CI 2011, GitLab CI in 2012, and TFS 2012, Bamboo 2012. And we will not be able to create this continuous delivery uh, CI/CD without cloud computing. And because we already had AWS that was first released their first product, Amazon SQS and Amazon S3 in 2006, so that kind of helped us to invent such tools. If you think about it, it's like the evolution of the technology in how everything comes together. It's like a puzzle. And then with Docker, which helped us even more, that were invented in 2013 and then Kubernetes in 2014. So we're making the whole process of uh, delivering products uh, to the end user much faster. And with this continuous testing, with a high quality, it's all evolving naturally. Sure. I guess, you know, when you're looking at it, you know, I, I've had uh, engineering managers on and we're, we've talked about, you know, obviously quality and you know, speed, right? Velocity. And obviously CI is helping shift some of that, especially just because of the nature of what's happening with uh, testing. Do you see the, I mean, I, I guess you've, you've spent some time on the QA side as well. When you look at quality versus velocity, are you seeing continuous integration impacting that so that maybe there's less defects, less uh, you know, issues with code that's actually being deployed? And obviously they're being deployed, I mean, including the CD component of this, if it's being deployed multiple times per day, the impact isn't, you know, the ramification of one bad release maybe is not as bad as when, you know, it's the big bang you know, releases of years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, it helps with, I mean, if you deploy multiple times, you do find bugs and it helps to fix them quickly. And especially if you find them in lower environment, you, you don't want to deploy that uh, code to the environment further in QA and stage, and of course not to production. And it helps to, I would say, to produce um, 
code that is um, higher quality, that is more reliable. So you detect bugs um, faster. And for that to work, it kind of sounds like, oh, that's so amazing, but it requires lots of uh, resources and people working together and working efficiently for this one goal, delivering high quality product. Absolutely. Do you see, I guess, you know, as, you know, as an organization is trying to move down the maturity, you know, path and getting to full CICD, what are some of the obstacles that companies see? I guess maybe, you know, from your previous experience of helping you know, move companies that direction, what are some of the larger obstacles? The obstacles are actually implementing the um, continuous delivery where the um, deploy to production is automatic. It's not that easy to do because what is necessary to implement is automation tests that are automatically triggered after code goes from one environment into another. And it takes time to build those uh, scripts. And then it takes time to set up an environment where that particular automation is so close to code. For example, let's say your application is built in um, it's uh, React, Angular, Node.js. And it's easier if the automation is uh, written in JavaScript, let's say, Jest framework, and it's close to code, and it's kind of triggers automatically after you deploy your code. And it's easier for developers to fix the code because they can see what this automation script discovered and they can fix it fast. However, for example, if you have for the same front end uh, automation script in Java and found certain bugs, but when developers look at that automation script, it's hard for them to understand it. It's a different language. They used to JavaScript their front end. And it's not as efficient. I find it it's better if your automation script kind of in the same language as the product was developed in. So in that case, you speak the same language with developers. And basically, another thing, what I found, the pitfalls, there is not enough resources um, in uh, DevOps department. And what happens then, developers or quality engineers learn on their own how to use CICD, how to implement it. Uh, They're forced to understand how to build pipelines. I guess to talk about that, because I think that's an interesting challenge. I think most organizations never seem to have enough DevOps engineers on hand uh, at any given time. When you're looking at the skill set and you're talking about, you know, let's say QA people and automation professionals are starting to pick up some of these tools, what's the evolving landscape for them? Because obviously they're trying to get closer to what is maybe a DevOps type role in spirit, maybe, because obviously they're trying to help with that continuous integration piece and continuous deployment. How, how does the skill set shifting? So the skill set requires 
the knowledge now of uh, cloud computing and microservices, because if you wanted efficiency, you have to understand how to deploy your um, code in the cloud, AWS uh, or GCP or Azure DevOps. And the requirements now becoming for DevOps engineer, understand software development, then understand testing, because DevOps engineer works closely with developers, with automation engineers, and uh, with people in cloud computing, especially those who are assisting uh, with uh, setting up containers, like a containers orchestration in the cloud. And also they work closely with SRE, the site reliability engineers who are also implementing continuous monitoring, let's say with New Relic or Datadog. So it's such a huge skills array and expertise that is required for DevOps engineers nowadays. I feel like they're the gods or unicorns that should know it all. <laughs> I think the challenge, especially once you start layering on the requirement to you know, understand more than just scripting in terms of software development, right? I mean, moving outside of someone who's comfortable with scripts, whatever scripting language you choose, and actually more into actual development, that becomes even a harder skill set. And I guess that's part of the evolution. I mean, that's where the role's going, it seems. Yes, that's right. And if any DevOps engineers are listening, they would agree, not only they have to know also cloud computing, let's say, depends on the company. Some use AWS, some Google Cloud, some Azure or any other cloud. So they have to continuously accumulate knowledge because even those cloud platforms, they improve their services and they add new things that allows simplification and uh, faster deployment. Let's say if we'll take Amazon, for example, they have this EKS Elastic Container Services, then Elastic Kubernetes Services, and now Fargate, which is even more efficient, more kind of automated, that helps DevOps to use containers for the deployments of the code moving from one environment into another. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess as you're kind of looking at it and, and you're looking at, uh, how testing is how to make that shift left initially. And then obviously back right, as you kind of mentioned at the top of the podcast, and you're looking at, you know, some of the challenges of, uh, you know, skill shortages for DevOps people to help with a you know, better deployment platform and testing people are starting to have to pick up some of those skills. When you're seeing an organization, when they're trying to make that decision to go to full deployment model, where do they start to focus on attacking that. I mean, it seems like there's multiple different gaps here, right? Like different areas where you're going to have a concern if you're making that move. Where do you start making the planning to say, okay, if we're moving to this, and obviously I think most companies are in the evolution process, some are there, some are not, but what are some of the steps to helping kind of push through and getting there? You start small with continuous integration with developers pushing their code multiple times a day, and then you start slowly building uh, unit test, uh, then the integration test, then 
the smoke test, API test, and then later uh, UI and to end and then regression test. But you kind of start incrementally and work closely with developers where developers are aware what type of automation you're building and make sure it benefits them. You don't want to build some automation script that produces false positive results. We want to make sure it finds bugs and uh, it benefits developers and it helps them to create a better quality code. So you start with that, just with the continuous integration and it ingrains this continuous testing in it and then you slowly move into continuous delivery and the definition of continuous deployment, which means it's like the entire method going from like a developer saving to the repository, building artifacts, saving, then doing the unit test and going from one environment into another. It's like deployment, it's the whole process. So I'd say just taking small steps and um, also for the automation engineers pushing their code to a pipeline, either Jenkins, Circus CI, or GitLab CI, and get familiar with how do you execute it from CI tool versus deploying their code from a local machine. Because what's the point of building your automation if you're going to execute it manually? So I'd say when you build a pipeline in um, a CI tool, and then you're either, you know, practices with pushing a button and it's executed, then you set a schedule, put it on schedule, and then you can also set after... uh, you set it on schedule, it works well, and then you can set automatic trigger after the code is deployed from one environment into another or after the um, every new commit pushed. So it's like a slow process, one step after another. It's worth it because in the end, what happens with uh, continuous delivery, when you have this option, when you can automate your release process, when you automatically release to production, then what happens, it kind of removes that pressure from everybody to gather together to do the release. It kind of removes that tension and So it gives people time back to developers, automation engineers, so they can work on perfecting their scripts versus spending time on releasing to production. Because the manual release, it's very tedious and um, it requires lots of energy and effort. Absolutely. That's fantastic. I think that's some great insight. I guess in terms of what you're looking to do, Hopefully, the next challenge of uh, deploying a CD, as you've kind of described, is there anything that you've kind of seen in your past that you're like, well, you know, now that I've done this at a few different organizations, you know, this is what I learned. This is kind of maybe uh, what I would do differently. Any any lessons learned there? The lessons I would say um, I have learned uh, what 
helped with CICD is implementation of monitoring tool. For example, New Relic, where we also added New Relic listeners to all automation scripts. And uh, also we um, added um, all the uh, scripts that when the code is deployed from one environment into another, you can monitor that in New Relic. And that's I actually really liked. You could see right away what um, branch fell, what passed, and you can see all the test cases, what passed, what failed, and you can click on the code and kind of modify it and refactor it if needed. That's what the New Relic tools, I mean, for example, New Relic, or you can use Datadog, but the monitoring tools, what I would recommend, and I would do whatever if any other companies to focus on implementing the um, continuous monitoring tool. It actually helped to uncover any hidden issues and it kind of simplified the whole process. And you can see they have a history within a year. You can see how each deployment or each automation script or each server was performing in the past week or month. Awesome. I think some great advice, some honestly, some great insights into how you kind of continuous integration, continuous deployment, continuous testing, and uh, obviously the, the evolution is going to uh, continue for most. And I mean, who knows what's coming up, but I mean, it sounds like you're super deep and interested into this area. If somebody has some follow-up for you, because I'm sure like some people are still trying to figure a couple of these pieces out, are there any social media that you're okay, somebody reaching out to follow up with you? Yes, a LinkedIn would be great. And uh, I have uh, a few articles uh, posted on LinkedIn. If you go to my website, you probably will provide it uh, with your podcast. You will see in features, I have some uh, articles that I posted. I invite people to read it, like it, and share it. And um, I would like to connect uh, other people uh, and uh, continue the conversation. If somebody has any suggestion, ideas, I'm uh, open to listen to it. Awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely link to those articles as well. It sounds like there's a lot of wealth of information to share. And again, thank you for being on the podcast. It was super uh, awesome to have you talk about this subject area. That's going to be it for today's episode. And I always ask for two things. Uh, the podcast is just growing at a pretty good rate. I keep mentioning that because I'm kind of humbled that people reach out and mention they listen to it. So keep subscribing. I love the word of mouth. Uh, people letting me know that somebody told me to listen to it and they liked it. I, it puts a smile on my face. But also any feedback you have for us to improve the podcast, I'm all ears. Feelings don't get hurt. Please tell me that's how we can improve the podcast. And any content or topics you want us to cover, let me know. Drop me a message on LinkedIn. We'll be back again tomorrow with another episode and hopefully uh, provide you some value. Thank you. 